Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, the PGA Tour Superstore, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, Ben Hogan Golf, Two Under, Taylor Made Golf, and Golf Pride. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the T. Thank you so much for joining me and giving me the privilege of spending this time with you and being a part of your weekly golf content. I really appreciate it very, very much. Your support of the show means a great deal, and I'm honored that you're here. I want to start off the show by saying hello and thank you to one of our sponsors, the McLemore, which is a fantastic community resort and golf course just 35 minutes outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee on Lookout Mountain. And folks, I know you hear me say this every week, but please go online to themaclemore.com. And Maclemore is spelled M-C-L-E-M-O-R-E. So themaclemore.com and check this place out. You got to see it to believe it because everything they have up there is beautiful. The golf course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones. Our friend and PGA Tour caddy Kip Henley said, Outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. Golf Digest named it the best finishing hole in America since 2000. See why they say that by checking out the course and the resort online, again, at themaclemore.com. Okay, on to tonight's guest. And first up with me is going to be our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. Tonight, I'm going to get TP's thoughts on the U.S. Open. And now, if both players and really, frankly, the rest of us, do we need to consider adopting what Bryson DeChambeau was doing? Look, folks, if you laugh before at his swing style, his all one length golf clubs, the 40 or so pounds he put on over last season, his 7,000 calorie a day diet, guess what? Not so funny or strange anymore, now is it? Following a six-stroke victory in the U.S. Open. He's one of only three players now to have won an NCAA National Championship, a U.S. Amateur title, and a U.S. Open. The other two, Jack and Tiger. We're going to hear TP's thoughts on what he saw this past weekend and a whole lot more when he joins me in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a visit from another one of the top instructors in the game and perhaps the most decorated PGA professional of all time, and that's Bob Ford. Bob was the head golf professional at Oakmont for 37 years. And then during the winter months, oh, by the way, he was the head pro down at Seminole Golf Club, where he is still at today. He was the guy at two of the top courses anywhere on the planet. That tells you how great Bob is. We'll talk about his college days at the University of Tampa, how he landed the job at Oakmont at the tender age of 21, plus his experiences playing in three U.S. Opens and 10 PGA Championship, plus get his thoughts as well from the U.S. Open last week. Bob's going to join me about 25 minutes from now. Then we'll round out tonight's show with a return visit from former PGA Tour pro Richard Zokel. Tonight, Richard and I are going to talk about his great golf app, Mindtrack Golf, and that's uh, track T-R-A-K, so MindTrackGolf.com is his website. And we're going to learn about how you can improve your mental approach by letting go of our fixation on score and replacing it with just being concerned about the shot at hand. We'll also talk about some of his experiences playing in majors, and what it was like when that first invitation to the Masters arrived after his win at the Greater Milwaukee Open back in 1992. Looking forward to having Richard back on the show. He'll join me about 45 minutes from now. 
So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the T. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. You guys know I always like to start off by saying hello to my friends Mitch and Matthew Lawrence. And I want to remind you about their great golf shows. Mitch's podcast is called Talking Golf Getaways. And if you love golf and travel, there's no better way to marry those two things on a podcast than by tuning in to Talking Golf Getaways with Mitch and his co-host Darren Bunch. They're going to let you know about great places you can go stay and play around the U.S. and Canada. They're also going to let you know about some of the courses that you might not be aware of. You can stream their podcast over on GolfTripX.com. It's also available on Audioboom, Stitcher, and Player.fm. Again, if you love golf and travel, folks, their show needs to be a must-listen on your list. They do an outstanding job. Matthew's show is called Backspin Golf. It's my regular Sunday morning, 8.03 a.m. Eastern Tea Time. I never miss an episode because Matthew's a fantastic host, and he's got a lot of great guests, including our friend Perry French, who typically leads off the show every week. You can stream his show by going online to WLXG.com or by downloading the WLXG app. Tune in, folks. I promise you, you're going to love this show. And, folks, this segment of Next on the Tee is brought to you by TaylorMade TP5 and TP5X golf balls, played by Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, Ricky Fowler, and Jason Day. It's the hottest tour ball in golf. Now, I know you know those names, but thousands of other golfers have already made the switch to TaylorMade TP5 and TP5X. It's also available in high-visibility yellow. Are you next to make the switch? Check them out online by going to TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information. All right, here to kick off this week's show is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. You can visit him and improve your game this winter at his new indoor facility, which has all the latest gadgets and technology at his home down in Naples, Florida. TP is winding down his summer tour of the Midwest and eastern portion of the country. We're going to hear exactly where he's at here in a moment. Remember, you can also download the V1 video app and send Tom videos of your golf swing, and he's going to respond with all kinds of great content for how you can get your swing on track. Or you can send him a question via his website, TomPatry.com where you can also subscribe to his newsletter. Tom is a member of the Titleist Leadership Advisory Board, has his own show now Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Instagram Live with some really wonderful guests. Not sure who the guy is he's having this week, but rumor has it. It's a guy whose Steelers beat the pants off Tom's Giants about eight days ago, and I'm very excited. He is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, TP, how are you, my friend? Chrissy boy, what's up, big man? How are you, TP? Where in the world are you? That's how we got to start off every show now when you come on. We got to understand, where is Tom Patry? And and I think that's a moving yeah, target, which is probably smart on your end. Where's Waldo? So Waldo tonight, just to speak to you because I love you so much, I pulled off the road during my drive. I left a couple hours ago from Evansville, Indiana, drove through the beautiful state of Kentucky, and now I'm in the dark in a rest area in a welcome center in Tennessee heading to tonight's destination, which is just a little east of Nashville, where I'll bunk down for the night. Because tomorrow, Chris, after five months, I get to go home to Naples, Florida. So that's where I am right now. Well, that's not good news for Mrs. Patrick, but probably good news for the golfers in that area. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, think, I, think she's, I think she's, you know, just elated that I'm coming home, elated. Why wouldn't she be? Of course she is. Exactly. So, TP, now, last time you were on the show, you, you, you had some breaking news in, about a, your new home for the winter. Um, remind our listeners where they're going to be able to find you 
uh, you know, here in the next couple of days. Yeah, Chris, I'm excited. Uh, actually, on October 15th is my start date. I'm the uh, new director, the new and first director of instruction at Crown Colony Country Club in Fort Myers, Florida. Uh, I'm really excited about that. The folks I'm touching this winter, we, we went through a little discussion and negotiation. We came to some great, great terms. Uh, what, seems like a wonderful club and a wonderful group of people. So I'll start there October 15th. Uh, that'll be my new home. And uh, I will be able to teach non-members there, so I'm really excited about that. And uh, I'm looking, to, I'm looking forward to a brand new chapter in um, in my Southwest Florida life. It'll be, it'll be great. Ah, uh, and I'm sure it will be, and it's certainly going to be great for that membership as well as uh, the people in and around that area. So kudos to you, and kudos for them for making the smart decision to bring you on. And speaking. Of smart decisions, my friend. I know you're you're just leaving uh, another wonderful place uh, within the Dormy Network that you were a brand ambassador for. Talk about the place you just left. Yeah, Chris, I, I had the good fortune the last few days to do a corporate outing for Transamerica Insurance at uh, Victoria National, uh, just outside Evansville, Indiana, one of the Dormy Network facilities. And I'd never been there, heard so much about it. As you know, they, uh, they host the Corn Ferry Finals there. Um, and I've seen it, so many spectacular pictures, seen it on TV uh, during the Corn Ferry broadcast. It is really, really good. I mean, it's um, it's a spectacular piece of property, uh, and it's only has it only has 18 really difficult holes. Um, <laughs> you just have to drive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You have to drive the ball on a string. Uh, the green complexes are moderately severe but fair, um, but really high shot values. Um, some spectacular vistas on the property. Um, it was an old strip mine, um, so there's a lot of these dugout areas with big waterways alongside holes and stuff. It, it's really, really a a cool place. Uh, we had a great we had a great three day outing with Transamerica. Uh, brought some of their clients and did some clinics in the morning. Played golf with them in the afternoon. Hung out with them at night. The food was spectacular. It's it's re- I can't say enough about it. It's really cool. I don't know how. I'm trying to still figure out how uh, they shot 18 under there. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, Brendan Wu shot 62 one round there. And I was trying to figure out if he only played 15 holes. I wasn't sure, but it, it's really hard. It's a hard place. <laughs> Take that a step further. You want to talk about hard places. I want to get your thoughts on the U.S. Open. Wingfoot really showed uh, what it can do, except for what we saw from Bryson DeChambeau. So, your thoughts, first of all, from what you saw from the golf course, did you, was that what you expected? Did you expect, you know, one guy would end up being under par and everybody else would be struggling to make par? You know, Chris, honestly, I did not. I think I think a couple of things. And I think I think your next guest, who's one of my all-time favorite people on the planet and a great friend of mine, Bob Ford, who uh, who was there, obviously, as the honorary starter, will speak to this. But, you know, they, they cut the rough on Tuesday, which was unexpected by everybody, I think. Uh, which I think was a mistake. I think the time of year uh, it's played in uh, had something to do with it too. I think the green complexes did not seem, uh, you know, I played 25 rounds of golf there in my life, probably as severe, as fast, or as firm as I thought they could have been. So I think once they altered the rough length and the greens were a little more receptive than they might have hoped for, I think that gave, uh, you know, Bryson a green light to, to do, you know, to play bombs away. Um, I'm not sure that that score would have been the score shot if those conditions were a little bit different or a little more traditional uh, at that place because that place is such a incredibly great, great venue, a great golf course, and a difficult golf course. 
Um, so I certainly, I'm certainly looking forward to hear Bob's take on that. But um, he, listen, kudos to Bryson Shambo. He played unbelievable golf. He, he has some incredible golf shots. He, he, you know, and you, you talk about how well he drove it. That's fine. He putted the ball beautifully uh, on those greens. And even if they weren't as fast and firm as they could be, there's a lot of undulation on those greens, and he and he really rolled the ball great. So, you know, hats off to him. That, you know, it's a, it's a great championship. Yeah, and that's, and that's kind of what I wanted to get uh, your thoughts on as well. Um, you say hats off to him. You know, for for whatever reason, there are a lot of folks not happy that Bryson DeChambeau won. Any any reservations because of how unconventional, how sort of um, you know, calculating, you know, he is a- any, any concern about Bryson DeChambeau winning or, or truly hats off to him for a, a great performance. You know, I mean, he, he, listen, he's a different duck. There's no doubt about it. I mean, but Lee Chirino was a different duck too. You know, I mean, uh, there are a lot of guys who were different in their style and approach. Uh, you listen, you couldn't have two styles any different in that last group than Bryson and, and Matt Wolf. And, 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 you know, listen, let's not, let's not forget about Matt Wolf for a second here. Here's a kid who's 21 years old who is as unconventional as it comes. If you, if you want to make Bryson unconventional, you have to make Matt Wolf unconventional as well. And Matt Wolf's time is coming as well. This kid has a lot of talent, hits a lot of great shots, bombs it himself, and, and he does a lot of great things in his golf game. So it was a really, a really interesting, I thought, contrast to those two styles to come out one, two in this event. Um, you know, I, I think I think that con- that uncon- you know unconventional style of both those players, listen, it sells, right? It creates excitement, it creates talk, it creates media, um, anything that, that exposes the game and, and brings more people to the game. I think is a great thing. So, I, I think it's I think it's I think it's pretty cool. And, and Tom, I, I guess when when I was thinking about this golf tournament on on that golf course, I really didn't think a, a bomb and gouge was going to win. I thought with the, with the length of the rough, how thick the rough was, I mean, you could look at at one point, Bryson hit just, you know, four of 21 fairways, but still got it done. I was thinking that, that there was going to be a premium on driving the golf ball in the fairway, getting on the green, hoping to one putt, most likely two, occasionally three, and be somewhere around, you know, that, you know, two, three, four under par, ended up six. But I, I just didn't think that style was going to be, you know, the bomb and gouge was going to work at Winkford. You surprised that it did? Well, Chris, I, I think you said, you know, you were surprised. But I go, I go back to my comment about cutting the rough on Tuesday. You know, I mean, once they did that, and they ultimately, if you go back to the Twitter posts and, and some of the social media posts on Monday and Tuesday morning, there was there were tons of posts where guys would drop a ball in the rough and, and film it, and you couldn't see the golf ball at all. And then if you look at Wednesday, you know, you could start to see guys hit shots and you could see the ball bounce into the rough and you could still see the ball exposed. So once, like I said, once they did that, <laughs> it changed, it changed everything. I, I think they basically what the USGA did. And again, no, this is no disrespect to Bryson. I think once the USGA made the decision to cut their rough on Tuesday afternoon, they basically altered golf history because they, they kind of gave guys like that you know, the green light to swing away. Because once they could get down there and get a short iron in your hand and put the club on the ball and actually advance the ball with a short iron, everything, all, you know, the whole game changed. The whole tournament changed and the whole complex, complexity of the tournament changed. Tom, one of the other things that surprised me as I was watching was 
the frequency with which guys were holding shots from the bunkers. I mean, I, I was watching Louis Oosthuizen. He he left one in the bunker. He got he was in the bunker in two, didn't get out in three, and then hold it in four. And guys were chipping in from the bunkers left and right out there. I mean, I know these guys are way better than than you know most be everybody, but I, I couldn't believe the frequency with which they were holding those putts. Did you did you see that? Did any of that you know catch you by surprise that they were able to do it as often as they did? Well, <laughs> well I haven't played a lot of golf yet, because those those bunkers are very severe. And the shots out of the bunker are usually repelled by the greens going away from you quite a bit. Yes, I understand what you're saying, but I think when those guys were preparing to go to Wingfoot, having some knowledge of the golf course and knowing that bunker play was going to be, you know, put on a premium, I'm sure the preparation and the number of bunker shots they hit in preparation and practice, not only on the golf course during practice rounds, but leading up to the tournament, uh, I'm sure they ramped that up quite a bit. And you've got guys, listen, we've got things called 60-degree wedges now and 62- and 64-degree wedges. I would be curious to know how many guys put a, a bunker club in their bag for a wing foot last week with more loft than they normally had on their bunker club. I, I'd, like to, I'd like to see a stat on that because hmm. I suspect that I suspect that there were some alterations made pre that tournament with that in mind. And, Tom, when with Bryson's win, they made him one of only three players to win an NCAA national championship, a U.S. amateur, and now a U.S. Open. And the other two, oh, by the way, are Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods. Does this sort of validate, you know, his, his style? And you know, like I say, the you know the the one the one length clubs, the the you know seven thousand calories a day, everything that, that comes with Bryson and the transformation he made in his body and his game. Does this does this start to put the other guys on notice that, hey, we may need to start looking at this stuff? Well, I think certainly it's going to catch people's attention. But because I'm a little more cautious than some of some of you, you talking heads out there in, in radio land. You know, about three weeks ago, we were talking about Colin Morikawa becoming the next coming, what he did at Harding Park. You know, and that was that. Now we're not talking about Colin Morikawa two, two or three weeks later. Now we're talking about Bryson. So I. I think that validation comes with time. I think validation comes with longevity. I think that, you know, certainly, listen, Bryce is obviously a very talented young man, and, and he's just, now he's won a major. Um, but he's won one major, one. Um, and, and uh, you know, amateur golf and NCAA golf is wonderful. I mean, it's, it's great stuff. But it's not, it's not tour golf. It's not professional golf. So let's just, let's just you know, pump the brakes a little bit. <laughs> Like we always do here, or I always try to make you do. And we, we got more Cowa sitting over there. Now we got Bryson sitting here. We got Victor Hovland out there. We got, we got, you know, we got a lot of young, talented people. Let, let's just let this play out for a little while and see, see what happens. When you look ahead to, uh, to the Masters, and we got, we got this with, uh, Bryson to your point about Dustin Johnson, who was on a, on an incredible run there for about four weeks. Morikawa's got yep. a got a major championship. You got Tiger trying to you know find his game, and and he's defending champ. What are you looking forward to at the Masters, and and who are is that the set? Is, is that, are those the guys that uh, that you like heading into the Masters, or do you think that uh, you know somebody else could jump up and uh, and and win a Masters this year? 
Well, certainly, I'm sure, first point is this. I'm sure after watching Wingfoot this past week, and, and, and as you say, you know, bomb and gouge, now they can bomb and not even have to gouge. So I'm sure the folks at, at the Augusta National have sat up now and taken attention and said, wait, wait a second, boy, this guy is hitting the ball a mile, and he's hitting it relatively straight, you know, what's the longest club he's going to have in on any hole in this golf course, you know, as he, as he, as he works his way around that property? I'm sure they're very concerned, you know, about, about their championship. Um, and, and listen, he, he, although Bryson is extremely long, so is Dustin, and there's not a lot of guys out there anymore that are short, and they've all got the pedal to the metal. So I'm sure Augusta is on alert right now and, and, and kind of giving that some thought. Now, Augusta can defend that golf course a lot of different ways, with green speeds and green firmness and sub air and, 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 you know, and, and pin positions and undulation. But they're still, again, playing at a different time of year. We've never had that tournament played at that location in this month coming up that it's going to be played in. And, and who knows what the conditions are going to be like. So I don't know, Chris. I don't know who's favored there because I, I don't, I don't, we don't know much about Augusta being, the Masters being played that time of year and what they can do at that golf course with, at that time of year. I'm sure they can do almost anything they want with sub air. Uh, but it'll be interesting. And then again, how cold is it out? How cool is it out? You know, what, what's the weather going to be like, really? It's going to be really interesting. I, I certainly think the guys you named are certainly on the short list. But, you know, because there are so many talented people out there right now, and the fields are so deep in talent. You know, somebody gets the putter hot, and, 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 and you know, they, could, they can run away with this thing. Because that, that putting at that golf course is such a put on such a premium. Um, you know, who knows what happens, right? I mean, who knows? If, what if Bryson has a bad putting week and, and Ricky Fowler makes everything he looks at, everything he looks at. So, I mean, who knows? I mean, it's, that, that, that putting the ball at that golf course is such, such an important factor. So is Tiger still in the conversation, even after, you know, missing the cut at, at the Open and shooting a second round 77? Is he still a part of that conversation because he knows the course so well? He knows where he's got to put it on the second shot to leave himself with a good putt. Is that some place that you think that he's going to be able to be in contention for years to come? Or you start to get concerned because of how poorly he's been putting lately and then what you saw you know, on Thursday and Friday? So I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you both sides of that answer. The first side is I've had him buried three times in my life publicly, and all three times I've had to take my foot out of my mouth. After I did that, so I, I will never count that man out again until he's past his 80th birthday. Because um, he <laughs> made me look like a fool three—he's made me look like a fool three times because he's—he's always so good at pulling the rabbit out of the hat when you least expect it. Correct? Good. Now we got past that one. The second thing is, you know, if, if it's cold that week, uh, and, it, and it very well could be, and, and bad weather, you know, I think I think physically he struggles in that condition. So. I think the weather is going to be a real big factor for, for the Tiger Watch. Um, if you get a nice, you know, balmy Indian summer type week, I, 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 I still would never count him out. But I think if the weather's crappy and it gets a little cold, you know, and he's, and, you know, <laughs> really tough in the mornings, I, I don't know. Then I think it gets more difficult for him at that point. Staying with the Masters, Tom, and I posted this on social media last week and. And maybe you can help me understand this because you're a lot older than I am. But prior easy now. to easy, the 86... Easy, easy with that. <laughs> easy, easy. 
prior to the 86 masters, right? The, the, the legend has, you know, everybody had written Jack off, you know, he was too old clubs were rusty and all that sort of stuff. But if you look back at the, you know, a couple of years prior, you know, 83, he ends up finishing second in the PGA championship, one stroke behind Hal Sutton, 84, he wins the Memorial 85, he finished tied for sixth at the Masters, tied for second at the Canadian Open. So it's not like he hadn't he hadn't won, he hadn't played well, he hadn't finished well in years. Yet in '86, no chance. Why? Why no chance? Well, that, 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 that that's what the media does, right? They 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 like to create controversy. It sells. They they like to you know stir the pot. It sells. I mean. You know, Chris, Tiger won Zozo less than a year ago, right? He won in Japan right. less than a year ago. But we're, we're not talking about that because he's, he hasn't been informed in the last four to six weeks. But he won a golf tournament less than one year ago. So I think, it, again, you got to pump the brakes here. I mean, you know, these guys are so talented. If they get on a roll, they find something, they go home and have a great practice session, something kind of clicks a little bit, you know, they're so talented they can get on a little bit of a roll, get the right mojo going. You know, who knows? Who knows? Who, who knows what Tiger does? So, uh, how can you write Jack Nicholas off after, he, like you said, just just a year before he he'd done some of the things you just you just called out? The man has so much experience. You know, people that are thoroughbreds like Jack, like Tiger, they have so much experience to draw from. I don't know how you ever leave people like that out of the conversation as long as they're still walking and talking. Tom, just a couple more before I let you go. And, and uh, first, I want you to remind our listeners about uh, being able, if they're not going to be in and around Fort Myers or Naples uh, anytime soon, you've got the uh, ability to give them video lessons through the uh, V1 video app. Talk about how they can download a video of their swing and get lessons from you no matter where they're at. Hey, Chris, you know, technology is an amazing thing in, in, in golf instruction in, in 2020 and going forward. And V1, the V1 app is available at the App Store, obviously. And they simply put the app on their iPhone or on their iPad, and they select me as an instructor from the alpha list, and, and off we go into a relationship. I have 150 people right now taking instruction from me um, that I've never met in my life, uh, and I have relationships with them, 150 students I've never met. That's besides the people that I, I do teach regularly that check in via V1 on a regular basis as well. It's a very easy technology to use. There are very easy prompts you can follow. Um, it, it's, it's a wonderful technology. I, I probably do somewhere between 10 and 15 uh, video lessons in the evening when I get home from my, my, uh, my, my, my AM or my sunlight gig. Um, and those relationships are a lot of fun for me. So it's, it's definitely a technology that, that people who uh, want to get instruction that, that will not get to Naples or Fort Myers, and God knows why anybody would not be in Naples during the winter, but that's another thing. But they can they can certainly get some instruction and check in with me. And you've also built yourself a heck of a studio down there in uh, in Naples, Florida, at your house. Talk about that as well. Yeah, you know, during the pandemic, Chris, last winter, um, when things were tough and, and we, we were trying to find ways to connect with our students, uh, uh, I, I begged Denise for, for forgiveness, and I, I got to our garage and uh, really did a heck of a job, really, if I do say so myself, in, in turning it into an indoor studio, Trackman, Body Track V1, uh, an incredible fiber-built mat, 
um, all the all the toys, uh, flat screen TV to project things onto, uh, whether it be the track end numbers or the graphics or the V1 video. It's actually a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it, and and I will in the evening hours uh, do evening sessions when I'm not at uh, when I'm not at Crown Colony. I will actually actually rent the space as well for people who want to come in and use the technology on their own uh, for supervised practice sessions. So it's really been kind of cool, and, and I'll spend all the time in myself doing working on my own game. So it's really a cool space, and uh, yeah, I hope people will take advantage of it. And let our listeners know how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's on your website or it's on social media. <laughs> yeah, Chris, all the, all the regular places, the two pages on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, uh, certainly the website, TomPatry.com. They can sign up for the newsletter, which is quarterly. Um, all, all the regular, you know, all the regular places that they can find me. Um, and they can certainly always email me. My, all my contact information is on my, on my website. If they just have a question, I'm happy to answer it for them, and they can they can reach me anytime they want. And your uh, your Instagram live show coming up, you've got uh, some guy I never heard yeah, of, I and mean, then I, uh, you've I, got a bunch of I, other guests. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in trouble this week. I I've got I've got Chris Mascara from Next on the T. Oh, that's you, isn't it? Oh, coming on on Thursday night, <laughs> and hopefully he'll have a better connection this time. He failed miserably last time, um, but I by my main reason for bringing you on, Chris is I wanted everybody to see who's listened to your podcast for all these years how handsome you really are and try to expose <laughs> you to it. You, you might, you might after, after, after being on my Thursday night show, you might have like a, a Hollywood thing going on. They might, you might be discovered on my Instagram live show. It's a, it's a strong possibility. Well, you know, I can only hope. I can only hope. My fingers crossed. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean come on. You know, Matt Damon or Christmas Carol? The Christmas Carol every time. Right? I mean, what's the, what's this is the, what I'm saying. Who, who, what, who's, who's kidding who? Right, really. Truth, come on. <laughs> That's right. TP, hey, I can't thank you enough, my friend, for jumping back on. You're always, uh, you always make this segment so much fun. Um, look forward to Thursday night and then uh, catching up with you again in a couple of weeks. Safe travels, my friend. Be careful out there. Chris, 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 before you let me go, I want to thank you for having me on. It's always great to be with you. I'll wave as I go through Atlanta tomorrow. And then please Thank you. give Bob Ford my best. You are you're so blessed to have Bob Ford on behind me, and I'm glad I got out of the way because I'm I'm a, I'm a warm up act. He's like he's like Led Zeppelin, and I'm the local band, and he's like he's like the king. <laughs> and I, I I I love the guy I love the guy so much. He's a dear friend, and I have so much respect for the guy. You've got a superstar coming on behind me. Have a great time with him. I appreciate that very much, Tom, and I'm very much looking forward to the conversation with Bob. Stay safe, my friend. Catch up with you soon. Thanks, pal. Hey, man. That's a great Tom Patry. TomPatry.com. P-A-T-R-I. That's the website. Go check him out on their V1 video app. If you're not going to be in Fort Myers or down in Naples this winter and you want to get uh, video lessons from one of the all-time greats, get uh, get on there and select Tom as your instructor. Send him your videos. You're going to be happy with all the great content that Tom is going to send you, plus you know, personalizing it to make sure that you get your swing where you want it to be. Looking forward to being on his Instagram live show coming up Thursday night, 8 o'clock Eastern time, and then having Tom uh, back on the show again real soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Bob Ford, I want to give a shout-out to a couple of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at the Ben Hogan Golf Company. When Ben Hogan founded his company in 1953, his mission was to make the finest golf equipment in the world, and that remains their mission today. They forge every club they make to provide the feel and feedback investment clubs simply can't provide. And their craftsmen micromanufacture each club 
to your exacting specifications, and therefore we're Texas factory. You'll only find Ben Hogan Golf Equipment online at BenHoganGolf.com. Visit them there today to learn about their great products and their great prices. Also want to give a shout-out to our friends over at Golf Pride. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret the pros know. A larger lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus 4 technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play Plus 4 and release the secret the pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet, the winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence, grip golf pride. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now joining me here on Next on the Tee is one of the top instructors and a living legend in my mind in our game, and that's Bob Ford. Folks, if you know anything about me, you know that I research my guests and try to learn as much as I possibly can about them. And what I learned about Bob is he's a great player, a great instructor, a legend in our game, and loved by so many of uh, the folks in and around the game and so many of our mutual friends. It's unbelievable. Let me give you a little background about Bob. He grew up in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, played his college golf at the University of Tampa from 1971 to 1975. He is in more Hall of Fames than you can shake a stick at. Let me just give you a few of them. He was inducted into the allegheny Kiskey Valley Sports Hall of Fame in 1996. Our good friend Gus Ferrat is also a member of that Hall of Fame. He was inducted into the Western Pennsylvania Sports Hall of Fame in 1998, the PGA Professional Hall of Fame in 2005, and the University of Tampa Sports Hall of Fame in 2006. Bob was the head professional at Oakmont Country Club for 37 years, and the winner he became and still is the head professional at Seminole Golf Club, and as you know, both are two of the top golf courses anywhere on the planet. Bob has won the Pennsylvania Open three times. He's played in three U.S. Open, 10 PGA Championships, and I'm very honored he is with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Bob, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, Chris, my pleasure. Uh... <laughs> you you certainly are. They're big shoes to fill. I You know, I got every confidence you can do it, but, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't want to follow TP. I tell you that much. Well, he's a good man. He's a good friend. Yes. Bob, I, I want to start out, and I like to do this with any new guest on the show, kind of learning about when you first started playing the game. And I read that it was actually your mom and your brother that you first started to tag along with when you were 12 years old. Talk about that. Well, yeah, I was a little little knucklehead, and, uh, you know, they invited me along so I could push my mother's pool cart for her or pull it. And, uh, you know, they were, my brother was, uh, seven years older than I was. So he was, you know, 18, 19 at the time. He was a good player. And my mom wasn't a good player, but she was a really avid golfer. And, uh, you know, she volunteered at the Philadelphia Ivy B Classic every year. And I followed her out there one year and, and I, and they had this, uh, this fence that I, I hung out at. And Reeves McBee was there right, right in front of me hitting. A shag ball, his shag balls and, uh, you know, brand new Tylus. Just the sound of him hitting those irons just turned me on to the game. So the next time I went out with my, with my brother and my mom, I said, you know, can I take a crack and hit one of those things? And, 
so I started smacking it around, and pretty soon, uh, obviously, I became a, a third wheel to their game and uh, played along with them and, you know, grew up there in the Valley Forge area. And my folks joined Aronimic when I was in high school, and I played all the other sports up until actually my junior year of high school when I, when I turned just to golf. And, uh, you know, to caddy at Aronimic and grew up around Jay Siegel and, and all the great members at Aronimic in that era was, uh, you know, a game changer for me. Uh, I, I kind of, in the back of my mind, it was like, you know, I want to, I want to be around these people the rest of my life. These people are cool. I like them. I like the game. I like what they do. I like how they act. And, uh, you know, went, went away to Tampa and, you know, most people are studying. I was probably out hitting golf balls. So talk about that, Bobby, because it's interesting to me. How does a kid from Valley Forge end up playing his college golf at the University of Tampa? Well, it's pretty easy. It was the only school it would take me. <laughs> you know, I I applied to Jackson, University of Jackson, Jacksonville University, I guess. I applied there. They said, you can come if you go to summer school. I wasn't going to do that. Tampa took me right in uh, that fall. Uh, which was a great thing for me to, to happen to me. I wasn't really a very good, I mean, I was a captain of my high school golf team like many people, but I wasn't very good. I was 80 shooter basically in the sectionals and whatnot. I never, never made it to the States. And, uh, so I really wasn't very talented to warrant a scholarship and go to a division one school. Uh, but at, at Tampa, you know, in the early seventies, you know, it was, uh, Everybody smoking dope and doing drugs and all my buddies and I joined a fraternity and it was, you know, they were all a mess. And every time that that, that all would start, I'd go hit golf ball. So I got away from all of that uh, craziness by, by hitting golf balls. And, I, you know, by the time I was a senior, I was a pretty decent player. And I actually uh, went down to see Lou Warsham to get some advice from him. I just wanted him to really just to say, yeah, you should go play the tour, son. And. He surprised me. He said, well, why don't you come to Pittsburgh this summer? I'll find out whether you can play or not. And uh, so I wasn't really, I had no, no desire to do that whatsoever, but I did it and because I wanted to play, period. And, uh, you know, I went to work for him and fell in love with the business and the, the club life. And I went to four tour schools and I missed, you know, I missed the last one I went to. I missed by three shots. I was in seventh place with two rounds to go, and I started thinking about what I was going to wear at the Bob Hope and the Andy Williams and got a little ahead of myself and choked on, on the last two rounds. And, you know, thankfully for me, I missed. And then uh, uh, he decided to retire in the end of 79, and, and I was lucky enough to get the job. And, Bob, I, I read that the way that you actually met Lou when he, you know, obviously had professional there at, at Oakmont was you wrote him a letter asking him about any job that might be available during the 1973 U.S. Open. And he actually answered the letter and, and gave you a job in the stock room. Was, was that how it happened? You know, you're, that's pretty accurate, Chris. You know, in, in 71, when I graduated high school and hadn't moved to Pittsburgh yet with my family, uh, the U.S. Open was being played at Murrian in early June, and I volunteered there with my mom again, and, and uh, I worked on the third green. I, coincidentally, I just played there yesterday. I told the guys this story yesterday. By the way, Marion is spectacular. I mean, it is, you know, Gil Hans did no unbelievable job. Every hole is a picture. But, uh, so I volunteered in 71 uh, at that Open that uh, Trevino beat Nicholas in. And uh, my good friend Jim Simons, the amateur from Wake Forest, uh, he's actually from Butler, Pennsylvania, was 
leading, uh, slept on the lead Thursday night, or uh, I'm sorry, Saturday night. So it was a pretty cool time for me. And and then so now I'm now I moved to Pittsburgh, and now the Open is going to be at Oakmont. So it's like, wow, this is that was kind of cool. I think I'll do it again. And uh, so I did. I wrote uh, wrote Lou a letter, and un- unbelievably wrote me back. I don't know why he didn't know me from Adam. And uh, I did know a couple members, and I probably mentioned them in the letter. Maybe that helped. But he did. He hired me. I worked the week before, during, and after. So I worked three work, three weeks for him. And uh, he said, "So what, what do you, what do you want? Like what do you, like what do you want from him as payment?" And you know, I just volunteered. I, I he didn't have to pay me anything. But I said, "Well, I, I could use a set of irons and, and maybe a pair of golf shoes." I, mean, I really didn't didn't have much money. So yeah, he gave me gave me a set of irons and gave me a pair of golf shoes and I was off. And uh so when I went back down to see him when I graduated, uh, you know, at least I had a little connection with him and I was in awe of him and I'm sure he felt that and knew that I would be subservient to him, which hey, I worked for him for five years. I wish it was ten. But uh yeah, it was a great start. And is that where it all kinda branched out from there? You know, you go from being at the University of Tampa and Sort of the next thing you know, you're the assistant pro at, at Oakmont, one of the top golf courses on the planet. You're 21 years old. Yeah, you know, not much resonates with you when you're 21 years old. You know, <laughs> I had worked my last two, uh, well, my last two years in college, I worked at Palmasia for a guy named Gil Gonzalez, who was a great, another great mentor of mine. And uh, my college roommate, Rod Hyatt, we both worked there at Palmasia in Tampa. And, so I knew a little bit about what was going on in the golf business and, you know, how to, how to treat people and, and, uh, just take care of what they needed. But, uh, yeah, when you're 21, you know, to go to Oakmont, it just, it, it really, really wasn't, you know, as big a deal then as it, as it is now looking back on it. It's like, Oh my God, you're so lucky you can't even see straight. But, uh, yeah, it was, you know, it was an incredible run that I had. And Bob, I also read that, that Lou helped you improve your golf swing by putting a two by four on the ground and a golf ball about an inch or two away from it and said, that board is going to be the best pro you'll ever meet. Is that accurate? Chris, you're on top of your game, brother. Yes, sir. <laughs> I mean, it'd be like being in a hallway in a hotel and, and you put the ball up against the, you know, the one of the hallways and try to hit it without hitting the, hitting the wall. And, uh, you know, I took a couple of swings at it and I was a cutter at that time, a little bit like Litsky. I, I wish I was a lot like Litsky, but my ball curved like his did. That's about the only comparison. But so I couldn't, I couldn't hit it. I said, can that ball get hit? And he said, yeah, absolutely. And I missed a couple more times. I said, I don't think so. And he got out of his cart and hit a ball in two years. He whacked it out of there like it was nothing. I said, you can go home. I'll figure this out. <laughs> and it was, and I, you know, I went down, I qualified at Bay Hill, which got me an Inverary, and, and he was in at Coral Ridge in Fort Lauderdale in the wintertime. So I went on went over to see him and got that board out and maybe hit against that board again. And, but it did. It, uh, it obviously helped me hit the ball more from the inside and control it better and really changed my life, actually. And Bob, I'm from Pittsburgh and, um, I read you got to play around the golf with Ralph Terry. Bill Mazeroski and Bob Friend and Bob Friend Jr. is a great friend of the show and wanted me to pass along his uh, his hello to you, as did Paul Alexander from Pittsburgh as well. But um, 
around the golf with Ralph Terry, Bill Mazeroski, Bob Brand, three of the obviously main characters in that 1960 Pirates Great World Series victory over the Yankees. What was that like? Well, Chris, you know, it just speaks volumes about the game of golf that we play. You know, the people you meet, the fraternity, you know, how much golf, uh, you know, you know, how much we cherish the game in our life and, and what it does for us. I mean, for me, I'm just a, I was eight years old when they played that game and, and, but I grew up reading about them, seeing it and, uh, and became a pirate fan actually, uh, even though I was a Philadelphia guy and, you know, Bob Friend senior, the pitcher, he was just a monster. I mean, he's a huge, big back guy and, and just a stalwart for the Pirates throwing, you know, for 20 years for them. And, and Mazeroski, obviously, just a really good guy. Those two were about the same uh, types of golfers. You know, they're probably, you know, six to ten handicappers that love the game. And, and after their baseball careers, they did so much for Pittsburgh and all the charity events that we, we have out here. But Ralph Terry could play. He was he was really good. I think he won on the Champions Tour. Actually, I know he played out there, and uh, but he was a really neat guy, really a fun guy, and just you know fun through the years uh, as those guys aged out to you know to call them friends and and be around them and just be in awe of those guys. It was it was awesome. And being you know there at Oakmont for all those years, I I got to believe you had uh, opportunities to to meet and play, you know, with a lot of the Pittsburgh, you know, legends from the Steelers, Pirates, Penguins. What are some of your favorite stories of uh, being around those guys? Well, I have. Actually, uh, two of our Pittsburgh heroes became members here at Oakmont, Mario Lemieux and Jerome Bettis. And, uh, you know, I can't remember the year, really, but I have pictures that remind me that I was actually there in the foursome. But Mario brought uh, Dan Quinn, who he played hockey with, uh, was kind of a sidekick, and uh, Michael Jordan out to play one day. We played from the tips. This was back before the course was lengthened, and you know, 30 years ago probably. And uh, damn if Michael didn't shoot uh, 76 from the tips. I mean, I was impressed. And Mario, you know, Mario's golf swing looks like Ernie Els, the Big Easy. He's got a magnificent golf swing. Was a really good player. And, and Danny Quinn was a really good player. So. We had a great group. We had a great day. We got in. You know, I lived on the 18th green at that time at Oakmont. And uh, my kids were little. My girl was probably, they were probably eight, six, and four. And uh, got my, you know, Danny, Danny kind of facilitated the Mike, Michael kept being there. I said, you think I can get a picture with, uh, with MJ? And my wife had the camera. She took the pictures. And, uh, she went back down the house and she came back up. She said, you're not going to believe this. I didn't have any film in my camera. I'm like, oh, oh my. Christ. Can you imagine missing a, a, an opportunity like that? But darn it, uh, Danny Quinn didn't get them to come back out and, uh, you know, take some more pictures. So, uh, you know, Michael and, and Mario took pictures with the kids and we got a foursome picture. And, uh, you know, they're obviously uh, real prizes for, for my wall. But that was, you know, that was kind of cool. Uh, I played with Terry Bradshaw back when he was playing. Uh, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, our current uh, guy, NBC, used to have this little event, Chris, that, uh, you know, they, they took some celebrities. They had a foursome that would play the open golf course before the championship and see if they could break 100, I think. I, I think it was 100. 
you might you might remember this it was on NBC TV, but NBC called and said, uh, you know, Ben's going to come up here to Beth Page, and and we want to get him prepped, and we want to do a little story. We want you to be his teacher, and uh, take him around the golf course, play four or five holes at Oakmont, get him warmed up, and and we'll film it all, and it'll be part of our story when we do the show. I said, well, that'll be fun. So I go down. I, uh, I hadn't met Ben before, but watch him hit some balls, and he's an excellent player, really, really a fine player, like Mario. And, uh, you know, started the conversation out, you know, how you've been playing, you've been playing much, and what are you shooting? And said, who do you work with on your swing? And uh, he said, I've never had a lesson about I watched him hit a couple wow. of balls. And I said, well, Ben, uh, you're not going to have to get one from me either. Let's go play. And, uh, I mean, he, you know, he did not need any help with his golf swing, believe me. So we went and played a few holes and, uh, and had some fun. And, and, uh, I, he was one of the guys that, that did break 100 or whatever the number was. Maybe it was 90, but, uh, played Beth Page, uh, right before the open and played pretty well. He's, he's a good player, good guy. We love him, obviously, here in Pittsburgh. He's a big star. And, uh, so those are a few great experiences that I had. And Bob, I, I read a story, you know, switching down to your your time at Seminole. I read a story about Ben Hogan and how he used to come down to Seminole late in the winter to prepare for the Masters back when Augusta National had Bermuda grass. And he would play with a guy by the name of, uh, you know, George Coleman, who was a member there, and also Bob Sweeney, who actually gave Mr. Hogan strokes when they played. Do you mind telling everybody who Bob Sweeney is? And then uh, some of those stories. Well, Bobby, you know that that is the lore, Chris. You have it. Uh, you have the story right. He, uh, Bobby Sweeney, was a, you know, kind of a modern day playboy kind of a guy. Uh, Palm Beach, London, New York City. Uh, you know, a lot of money. Um, he, you know, was a, a bomber in the in the World War II. Flew a bunch of missions. You know, as a hero in the war. Uh, he had won the British amateur in the thirties, kind of to figure out his age. And he went in the war and then he came back and, uh, Arnold Palmer beat him in the finals, one up in the finals of the U.S. amateur to win the U.S. amateur that, that year. So Bobby Sweeney could really play. And, uh, Hogan called him the best fairway wood player he'd ever, ever played with. But he was, you know, playing all the time and, and, uh, playing at Seminole in the wintertime. And Hogan come down in March, hadn't hit a shot in two months, you know. So came from Dallas. It was cold in Dallas. And, uh, so he asked Bobby to give him a shot aside the first two weeks of March. And then the last two weeks, they played flat. So, uh, that story's true. Bobby Sweeney was quite a guy. Obviously, I never met him. Um, he, he passed away in the early eighties, but, uh, Great player, great, great playboy, great Palm Beach socialite kind of a guy. And, uh, and, you know, one fascinating thing about Hogan is that he, which I've seen down there in person a lot, are checks that he wrote when he lost to people. He'd write a check, $2.50, five bucks, 10 bucks. You know, I, I don't know whether it was cheap or not. He certainly had a lot of money, but, um, you know, he knew these people wouldn't cash these checks for his autographs. So. <laughs> you know, now, now you see him on eBay all the time, these little checks. Yeah, pretty cool. And Bob, you were one of the best playing PGA professionals ever. I mean, you qualified for three U.S. Opens, including the 83 Open there at Oakmont, 10 PGA Championships. And two of those majors that you played in were at Baltus Roll, which sort of 
bookended your playing career. Talk about what it was about Baltus Roll that brought out the best in you and your game. Well, Chris, uh, it's interesting the way you put that, bookended it, because that's how I felt about it. <clears throat> you know, my first year at Oakmont was, <laughs> well, I'll go back to Lou Warsham. Lou Warsham, my mentor, got hired in, in uh, April of 47 at Oakmont and and qualified and played in the U.S. Open in June. And he beat Sam Snead in the playoffs to win the U.S. Open. And he came back to work for 32 more years. Now, uh, he, you know, back then, those guys played a lot uh, on the tour. He won six or seven more times on the tour. He sunk the famous wedge at Tamashaner in 53, the first televised golf event ever in the United States. On the 72nd hole, he beat Chandler Harper by a shot, which was a shot heard around the world in that era. So when I took over at Oakmont, I qualified the first year to uh, play a ball straw in the open. Now, obviously, it, my, I didn't have a storybook ending like Lou did, but uh, you know, it was a real thrill for me. It was the first major I ever played in. I, I didn't expect to qualify. You know, I, I didn't really feel like I was of that caliber of player. I, I, I demonstrated that in my performance at Vaultstraw. I don't know. I got 76, 78, something like that and was down the road, but it was a really important week for me because I met Bob Ross. Bob Ross was the professional at Vaultstraw. He, too, qualified to play in that Open. So uh, he and I are really the only pros to ever qualify to play at our host club uh, in the Open uh, since Claude Harmon did it in 1959 at Wingfoot. So but since since we were there and, and I became buddies with him, he became a great mentor of mine, and, and he was a great merchandiser. And back then, you know, the pro owned the concession of uh, the merchandise for the Open. So we'd play practice rounds, and we'd go back in, and we'd go work in the 10. I'd work the cash register. I, you know, I had to learn everything there was to learn because in 83, I was going to host it myself. So even after our, you know, Thursday and Friday rounds where we both missed the cut, you know, we, we'd work either before or after our round, and, and I stayed and worked on the weekend and learned all I could from him and picked his brain, and uh, he was just an enormous um, source of information for me that uh, – and became a great friend. Uh, he just—he was one of the one of the, my idols. Uh, you know, once I got into the business and started meeting these guys, and uh, just an incredible man. Bob, just a couple more before I let you go. And uh, the '83 U.S. Open at Oakmont. Obviously, you qualified for it. You made the cut early in the week. You played practice rounds with Jack Nicklaus, Tom Weiskopf, Ed Snead, Arnold Palmer, Ben Crenshaw, Miller Barber. And Jay Siegel. Then over the weekend, you end up being paired with Hubert Green, Lou Graham, and Bob Gilder. Boy, it sure doesn't get a whole lot better than that. Talk about what you remember about that week. Well, I don't know. If I remember much. It was kind of a blur, but I do remember sitting down at the end of the week and saying, you know, this might be the highlight of your life, the highlight of your career. And it certainly, as a player, was. And uh, it, you know, sort of put me on the map as far as the respect of my peers and respect to those, uh, that era of tour player, uh, which was, you know, meant a lot to me, obviously. Uh, and fun story on, on Wednesday, you know, I had, uh, Bob Ross and I were invited to go to Japan for a couple of weeks in the fall of 82, I guess. And, uh, by Roger Cleveland, who owned the Cleveland company at that time, his brother-in-law owned the family owned a golf course and they wanted us to go over there and teach their members for a couple of weeks. Cause back then they didn't really have much instruction and 
lo and behold, they were hosting a, a Benson and Hedges match by Tony Jacklin and Ben Crenshaw, uh, who were playing four courses on four continents in four days. So it was kind of a neat match. And uh, I got the caddy for Ben Crenshaw and, and Bob caddied for Tony Jacklin. And they played and they, you know, they both shot right around par that day. But, uh, you know, I said to Ben, you know, if I, if I happen to qualify for the Open next in 83, you know, would you play a practice round with me? He said, I'd love to, Bob. It'd be great. So I qualified, and I said, sure, I got a call. And I called Ben and said, you know, would you play with me on Wednesday? He said, yeah, that'd be great. And uh, I said, good, well, I'll, I'll fill out the game. So I got Arnold to play. It was just unbelievable to me, and, you know, the Oakmont connection, the Warsham connection, and Arnold just treated me like, a, you know, like his, his buddy. And, uh, and Jay Sigel. Now, Jay Sigel qualified probably for a lot of opens, but uh, he and I and Bob Ross played together in 1980 in practice rounds. He had qualified that year as well, and then he qualified in 83 again. I guess he won the 82 amateur. So he was the reigning amateur champion. And uh, so I got, you know, I've got Crenshaw, Sigel, and Palmer. And uh, Ben was on the, gets on the property, and he said, uh, I got Miller Barber for, to play with. I said, geez, Ben, I... I, you know, I got Arnold and uh, Jay Siegel. You know, I mentioned I was going to fill out the group. And so now we got five. So he said, well, I'll ask, ask USJ if we can play five. <laughs> so <laughs> I go to P.J. Boatwright at the time. was, uh, You know, he was running the open. P.J., I got a problem. I, this is what I got. Because it was Arnold Palmer. We got we got permission to play five. And we played five. And uh I don't, I don't know if that ever happened before, but, you know, the power of Arnold, uh, in the open at Oakmont, uh, allowed us to play five. So that was a, a great, great part of that week. It, you know, it also, you know, after playing with Nicholas and those guys Tuesday and then Arnold on, on Wednesday, you know, by Thursday, I, I wasn't really as nervous anymore. And I was paired with a couple other club pros who were buddies of mine. And, you know, that Thursday, Friday, I just, you know, just played pretty carefree and, and wasn't wasn't incredibly nervous as I was at ball throw certainly, and uh, was able to play my game and, and played into the weekend, which was really a ball for me. Bob, just one more before I let you go. And you did such a wonderful job last weekend uh, on the Golf Channel broadcasting the U.S. Open honorary starter. You know, there at Wingfoot, um, talk about what you saw and what that uh, experience was like for you. Well. Chris, you know, it was the fourth year that I've done that, and, and, and I'm supposed to do it indefinitely, which is, you know, an unbelievable honor. Uh, I'll tell you, you know, Wingfoot is one special place. The golf course was just magnificent. The players all raved about it all week, which they never rave about a U.S. Open golf course. And the club and the clubhouse and the members that are so proud to host it in the clubhouse just you know, they've spent about 50 million bucks there over the last 10 years, uh, you know, getting ready for all this. So they were in great form. It was really weird, um, announcing Tiger Woods and having nobody applaud. So the fact that there were no fans there was really weird. Uh, you know, I had lunch with, uh, Paul Casey and he said, you know, it's, it's not, it's not as much fun not playing, you know, with the fans and, uh, you know, I, I think that those guys like the applause. They like the attention. They're used to it. And, uh, you know, now they're, now they're kind of just like playing with their buddies again. It's just, it's just not as fun. So 
hopefully we get back to normal soon. Uh, I think Wingfoot, you're going to see another open there, you know, probably in another six or eight years. And uh, it, it's just a great place. It's a great experience. I, I actually, I didn't know that I would like it as much as I did when I started to be the starter. But uh, it's it's a, it's a privilege. It's an honor. And, uh, it, it, you know, to do anything inside the ropes at the U.S. Open is a, a cool deal. Uh, before I let you go, how is there a way for our listeners to stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing, whether that's following you on social media, online somewhere? How can we find out uh, all the things you're going to be up to? Chris, I'm trying to be like Hogan. You know, I'm trying to be in the dark. No, I'm only kidding. Uh, I, I don't do social <laughs> media. I'm not good at it. I'm lucky I was able to dial your number on the iPhone. Uh, I've got, uh, you know, another year to go here at Seminole. Uh, you know, I work for a company called GBN, which is Golf Business Network, and it's a network of club professionals, and we do job searches. We're, we're in the midst of three or four job searches uh, as we speak, which is fun for me to stay in it and connect with my, you know, with my fraternity of fellow professionals. And, you know, I love playing golf. I love traveling and seeing the guys that work for me and seeing their clubs and traveling. I never could do that before. And uh, I'm just kind of trying to ride into the sunset, pal. Wow. Well, Bob, I, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and be a part of the show. A huge thrill. For me to get to spend this time with you i uh i sure hope i'm privileged enough to get to do it again sometime anytime chris uh, you do a great job and i uh, appreciate you having me on thank you bob stay safe all the best to you and your family look forward to catching up with you again soon you too chris take care thank you you too that's a great bob ford folks it, it just doesn't get much better than that well what a wonderful man what a wonderful player um and uh his contributions to the game of golf are endless and like i said you know i just gave you a little bit of the highlights at the top if you really get into his uh everything that he has done and meant to the game of golf uh and i've said this a couple of times before with uh with some other guests but uh certainly true with bob as well if i would have gone down the list I would have had enough time to say hello and goodbye. That's how much he has done and how much he has meant to the game of golf. He is a true legend and a treasure. And uh, I mean it sincerely. I hope I get the privilege of uh, of having him on again real soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Richard Zokel, I want to give a shout-out to a couple of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Finn for a course that has them near you. I also want to give another shout-out to our friends over at the McLemore. The McLemore Mountaintop community rests atop the highlands of Lookout Mountain, Georgia, overlooking historic McLemore Cove and Pigeon Mountain. Surrounded on all sides by state and national parks, historic land districts, and private land trusts. The resort features an 18-hole Reese Jones and Bill Bergen championship course, a gated residential community, and a planned clubhouse opening in the fall of 2020, plus planned hotel and conference center. The dramatic 18-hole course is made up of a variety of golf experiences, combining canyon holes, highland holes, cliff edge holes that are well-suited for the beginning golfer as well as the senior player. McLemore also offers a wonderful six-hole short course called the Karen, Designed by Bill Bergen, the Cairn provides players with a short warm-up or cool-down before or after a round, 
or a relaxing way to improve one's game with family and friends. McLemore is located a short driving distance from Atlanta, Nashville, Knoxville, Birmingham, and Huntsville, and just 35 minutes from downtown Chattanooga, voted number one best town in America two years in a row by Outside Magazine. While a private course, McLemore offers stay-and-play packages for guests in club-managed properties, as well as a number of membership opportunities, including social memberships, non-resident memberships, and corporate memberships as well. For more information, please visit McLemore online at themclemore.com or give them a call at 800-329-8154. All right, now back in making his sixth appearance with me here on Next on the TS former PGA Tour Pro Richard Zokel. Let me remind you about Richard's background. He's from Kitimat, British Columbia, which is on the coast in the central part of the province. He played his college golf at Brigham Young from 1977 to 1981, where he helped them finish first or second in the Western Athletic Conference all four years while he was there. They finished second in the national championship in 1980, and he captained them to the 1981 national championship. Individually, Richard won the International Champions Tournament over in Morocco in 1980. In 2009, that 81 golf team was inducted into the Brigham Young Athletics Hall of Fame. That year, he was inducted as well into the British Columbia Golf Hall of Fame. Richard won the 1981 Canadian Amateur Championship by one stroke over Blaine McAllister in a sudden death playoff, and then he turned pro. Among his other wins were the 1982 British Columbia Open and the 1984 Utah State Open. On the PGA Tour, he won twice in 1992 at the Deposit Guarantee Classic and the Greater Milwaukee Open. 2001, he won the Canadian PGA Championship, and in 2011, he was inducted into the Canadian Golf Hall of Fame. He is now the founder and CEO of MindTrack Golf, which you can find online at MindTrackGolf.com, and track is spelled T-R-A-K. So MindTrackGolf.com. And I'm very excited Richard is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Richard, thanks for coming back on the show. Good to be with you, Chris. Uh, thanks for having me. So, Richard, you've got some exciting updates about MindTrack Golf since we last spoke. I saw that another friend of the show, Nick O'Hearn, has signed on as an advisor. Update us on all the great things you're doing now. Yeah, since uh, since we first started talking, uh, you know, we're still we were working on putting the app together and, and it, it wasn't an easy thing. It, uh, these things going through the investment, uh, raising the investment capital for it and putting the business plan together, building the team, getting the web developer uh, and, 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 and beta testing it all through 2019. It was a great process. And then we finally launched it in an, in an Apple product in iOS only at this stage and uh, we launched it about a month ago and um very excited we had a number of press releases a couple of weeks ago we announced that uh we also had a a, a brand ambassador relationship or in this press release with Stockton Golf Dave Stockton and I go back a ways when he helped me in my latter part of the years on the PGA Tour with my putting and really turned it around and I, that's when I was using MindTrack as well so I went to Dave and talked to his son, Ron, who runs Stockton Golf, and they love the whole idea, very mindful in how they perform. And uh, so we signed an agreement to be an ambassador with Stockton Golf. And a couple of years ago, I reached out to Nick O'Hearn. And Nick O'Hearn wrote a book, a wonderful book called uh, uh, Tour Mentality. And uh, as it turned out, Nick's, Nick's program of Tour Mentality is the same as MindTrack. 
So we, it was a natural for us to be together. And Nick is part of my uh, golf advisory board. And uh, we've launched the app, and it's 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 free in the app store. We're ha- you know, I can't. I want to talk to you about the success we're having with uh, Taylor Pendrith as well. But uh, yeah, very excited to get to get this product uh, out there so the consumer can can play with it. Yeah. So talk about um, as you mentioned, you've got it out on iOS. When are we going to see it in the Google Play Store? So the rest of us with our Android phones can go out there and download <laughs> the app as well. Well, that's a, that's part of our plan as well. So what we're going to do, just from a, a, a ten thousand foot uh, uh, overview of what MindTrack the product is going to do. So we've launched it. We're we're beta testing it basically in iOS. And um, and if you don't have an 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 app, if you don't use Apple and have an Android, we'll have it out next spring. Is part of our plan. But we're still kind of beta testing it in in uh, uh, for everyone to try. And we what we've done is we put it out there. We want people to try it. If you play ten rounds of it, you'll you'll be able to get you become a founding member of MindTrack Golf, and it'll always be free to that person if, once you're in the top five hundred users. And and so what we're going to do, we, then we're going to over the winter time build out an Android product. And then we're going to decide how the company is going to launch this from a business perspective. Is it going to be a monthly subscription model at um, at uh, $2.99? Is it going to be $5.99? Is it going to be free? And I think we're leaning that it's always going to be free, but we're just not sure yet. And then when we have the Android product and the iOS product, and then we're going to get our API for all the golf courses on the globe. Because right now, the API, and for those who don't understand what that is, it's our connection to all the golf course database. So, cause we got to connect to pull out all that information. So right now you can, you can, uh, we're connected to golf courses in Canada, the United States and Australia, New Zealand. But uh, starting next year, we'll get it back. We'll get it into an Android product and we'll connect it with all the golf courses in the globe. So for, for the listeners that haven't joined us in the past and they're, they're hearing about this mind track product. Right. Let's let's go mm-hmm. back and tell them what it's all about, because it's it's really a tool and a and a way for us to disconnect emotionally from what's going on in the in, with score and focus on sort of the right. next shot at hand. But talk about where you came up with the idea when you started actually utilizing it and how it can help us. Right. Okay, sure. So, so we all know anyone who plays golf knows it's a very mental and emotional game. And, and if our, our, if our mental thoughts aren't proper or strong or sound, or our emotions get, go up and down the roller coaster, it really affects our ability to perform. So what MindTrack Golf is, it's, it's a mental fitness platform that conditions the user to access and stay in this present moment for every golf shot. So basically what it does is it, it allows the user to condition themselves to emotionally detach from results. And, and I think everyone, if I can just step back a bit and, and, and remind everyone, anyone who plays golf knows that they, that they get ahead of themselves. You know, in fact, Bob Ford was talking about it, how he got ahead of himself, how he was counting at the qualifying school. He was counting at what he was going to do in the Bob Hope Desert Classic and the Andy Williams. It was a, it's a perfect example. All golfers know that they get ahead of themselves. They, they, they create anxiety for themselves and they, 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 they mess up. And so it takes a lot of thought discipline. So I created this program in 1999 while I was on the tour because I was quite frustrated. 
And, and so basically what you do is you put your attention, um, in order to break your attention on the results, you have to put your attention on something else. And so what you put your attention on are your key performance markers of every golf shot. And they consist, and it's very simple, and they consist of your ability to assess the shot. That means picking a club, whatever it is, getting the yardage, uh, reading the green, assessing the lie, assessing your ability, and deciding on the shot. That's your assessment, picking the club, picking the shot. And then your ability to execute that shot, whatever you have chosen to do. And then when you put your, your attentional uh, focus on it, it detaches from the result, and you'd be surprised how good you get uh, at doing this. And our app, so when in the app you do this, either during the round or after a round, and you keep track with our emojis on, on, the th- on three evaluations of these two key performance markers. There's excellent, satisfactory, and unsatisfactory. And when your attention goes, your goal, obviously, is to make an excellent assessment and then make an excellent execution. And how well anyone is as a golfer is how well they do these things in any difficult situation. So obviously, assessing and executing shots on the back nine of Augusta National on Sunday of the Masters is very different than when you're playing your country club. And, uh, but it's important that the, 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 the thought protocol, um, is focused on this. And when you do that, it's amazing how it pulls you into the present moment and, and it literally conditions you to detach emotionally. And when you get good at this, you can really have some wonderful aha moments. And to that end, right? When I, I and I would write a story, Richard, that, um, uh, you know, back in, I think it was 2000 at the U.S. Open at, uh, at Pebble Beach, you actually shot a front nine 30 and weren't really aware of it, just that you were, you know, executing your shots and you were doing well until your caddy mentioned something to you about what you had just shot after, after nine. Is that because you had detached yourself from whatever the score was and just focused on each shot as you as they came to you. That's right. Well, you're good memory on that, um, Chris. That's 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 right. So in this situation, and it was the 2000 US Open at Pebble Beach, and I, I just shot 80 in the third round, and I was got my dauber down a little bit, but uh, and I, but my game was it was feeling pretty good. So I go out there and I go, come on, this is Sunday. It's US Open. It's Pebble Beach. This is as good as it gets. Tiger's making history. So I go out there and I've been doing this system for the past year on tour, and I started to get really good at it. So obviously, when I went out there, I, I, I went out there and I just focused on my assessing and my executions, like the key performance markers, my KPMs. And I started to get really good at this, and I was focusing in it, and it starts to make the game a lot easier. And I started to play really well, and and I knew I was getting deep under par, and, and I actually, on the, on the ninth hole, I make this putt. I, I, I didn't know where I was to par, and I make this putt, and, uh, and, and I shot 30. And my caddy says to me, gone down the 10th hole, he goes, do you know what you shot on the front nine? And I said to him, no, I don't. And I don't care. And usually when people remind you how good you're thinking, it's kind of like the kiss of death. But the aha moment, Chris, was when he told me that, uh, uh, he, I said to him, I still don't care. And I kept on focusing on my KPMs. And that day I shot 69. I think there were only Three rounds in the 60s, Tiger shot 60, 67 that day and, and won by, by 15, as we all know. 
But it was really the aha moment that I could detach from um, uh, the result so well in such a high pressure situation. And it, and it dawned on me that this is really a mental breakthrough that if, if we can get the grassroots teachers, and I'm working with the P, or talking to the PGA of America right now to, to create these thought fundamentals, because man, oh man, our thoughts are so critical on, on, on where they are in, in, in performance. And it doesn't matter if you're a 25 handicap. Or if you're, um, you know, Matt Wolf trying to win the U.S. Open, you've got to maintain your thought protocol so you don't get off track emotionally and 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 crash and drive your your performance truck, so to speak, into the ditch. You know, it's important that you 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 have a protocol. Mind Track is the protocol, and um, and it's free in the App Store. Go to our website at MindTrackGolf.com, and you can you can see videos on on what it what it does and you it, there's a lot of frequently asked questions you'll have and uh and there's a lot to this little app and uh we're having we're having uh, great results from it and richard i want to kind of go back to the the key performance markers because as you talk about keeping track of them during your round so after the mm-hmm. round and, and and putting this stuff into the app is, is one of the outputs of that, not only, you know, from a mental perspective and getting our minds where it needs to be and not ahead of ourselves, like you mentioned, you know, hey, I've made four pars in a row. Boy, if I could just, you know, make three more pars, you know, kind of thing. Um, but does it also help us understand, like, you know, which shots I'm executing well and which shots that I need to now focus on in my practice because it's this iron, right. it's this shot that I need uh, to focus on? Exactly. And it, uh, so just as you talked about, I made four pars in a row and I need to do this to, in order to shoot that score. Those pars are the result. That's the problem. Is So we want you as a golfer to condition you and train you to not think of the result. You want to put your attention on your, so this shot, whatever the shot is, I don't care if it's a four foot putt, a bunker shot or a tee shot, your goal is to, you have to assess it. So if it's a four foot putt, um, you have to read that, that, that putt properly. And then you ask yourself, are you capable of executing the, a stroke that matches the putt that you read? And in most cases, in, 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 in inevitably in all golfers, they go, yes, I can read that putt. And if, and, and, and you, when you make that execution and if the ball goes in, then you enter, you made an excellent assessment and an excellent execution. And then you punch in the the, uh, the the numbers already punched in, and you move on to the next hole. So let's say you misread that putt, but made an excellent execution. So you make an excellent execution on that four foot putt, Chris, but you misread it, so it didn't go in the hole. So how I would mark that for me is I made an excellent execution, but my my assessment of how to read that putt was unsatisfactory, and I missed it. And that cost me a shot. That was a shot lost event. And that gets entered into the, into the app as well. It's very simple. And then at the end of every round, uh, you get a, you get three reports. You get a scorecard report that calculates all your shot lost events during the round and all your shot gained events during the round that are attached to your key performance markers. And, and so your goal becomes how well you score and perform in your key performance markers, and then you let the score become a byproduct. And uh, and also one of the great things about the app 
is that if you can invite your coach to get these reports, uh, and, and so after every single round you play, email the, the scorecard report, a KPM trend graph, and the round summary will be emailed to your coach. So as an example, it's a perfect tool for your coaches that say, say you're going to have a, a lesson with your coach, Chris, tomorrow. And in today's round, in tomorrow's round, you're going to work on how to hit it like Bryson DeChambeau because, you know, to get more distance because that's kind of the in the vogue thing. But your coach looks at your score and goes, Chris, man, oh man, you, you hemorrhaged away eight shots around the green today because you're, you couldn't assess the greens very well. So tomorrow, instead of trying to pound it out there and get some distance, we're going to teach you to read the greens better because that's what's showing up in your in your reports where you're hemorrhaging most of your shots away. And uh, so it really drills down for your coach to dis- custom fit a better teaching curriculum for you in your needs on basically be- on on how poorly you play on the golf course. So it's a lovely uh, tool for your instructor as well. And and on your website, again, it's mindtrackgolf.com. And track is T-R-A-K, so mindtrackgolf.com. You've got a solution for amateur golfers. You've got a solution for college coaches. You've got a solution for teaching pros. Talk about what the difference in that is, in those are. And is that just the difference in the reports that are generated? Or is the app different depending on what you need it for? The user app is the same for everyone. It's just everyone has a different perspective. Say from a coaching point of view, the app provides you a tool where you can watch your 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 students' performance. And what I talk about for like aspiring pros in that area, like like I want to talk you know a little bit about Taylor Pendrith, who's an aspiring pro. And I think I mentioned to you in my last podcast with you that Taylor played on the on the uh, P- McKenzie PGA Tour Canada. And he was part of the um, beta program in, in 2019. And when I introduced the program to him, he was part of Golf Canada's Young Pro Squad. And Taylor had missed a cut in Kelowna and he was going on. So I told him and I tell all these other inspiring, you know, young pros that they, all these guys, as you know, have the physical talent to perform. They can hit it 10 miles in their fantastic. But what's really going to determine whether they make it or don't make it as a pro, and a lot of great players don't make it, is what they run through their mind on a daily basis. And particularly what type of thoughts run through their mind when they're on the golf course in the heat of battle. Because if you're getting ahead of yourself, you're going to build anxiety and you're going to crap out. You won't be able to perform. So last year, uh, Taylor Pendrith, after we got he missed the cut in Kelowna, and we got him to start doing the mind track uh, protocol in tournaments. He finished seven weeks in a row. He went, Chris, he went T48, T16, second, third, first, fifth. And then two weeks later, won his second tournament by eight shots. And he finished second on the McKenzie PGA Tour Canada. He got onto the Corn Ferry Tour. And this year, Taylor is playing really well on the Corn Ferry Tour. We're using the program. He's sitting third on the Corn Ferry Tour money list right now. And last week, he got into the U.S. Open, his very first major he played in, and he finished 23rd. He made $100,000. So Taylor is is just one of these young aspiring pros that just tweaked his mindset a little bit 
He's got a terrific game, very powerful player. But it, it, now he, he talked about how Mindtrack helped him in his performance, and it stopped him from getting upset, emotionally upset, how it used to bother him. And he gets back to the way he thinks when he played his best. So this is this is an example of what Mindtrack Golf does. Yeah, and just to take that a, a step further, Richard, as I was sort of looking over his results in the U.S. Open, to your point about where he finished, but a fourth round 70, which is, you know, certainly one of the better rounds of the day. So talk about, you know, you know, kind of what his feedback has been and, and like what, what he's utilizing the program and how he's able to stay more focused and not really worried about the score and boom, makes it, it makes it into the U S open and has a heck of a tournament. Well, we have this saying called golf insanity, and, and, and I think everyone can relate to what that means. And it's, you know, if you're doing the same thing, thoughts over and over again, and you get frustrated, like a lot of people can, 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 uh, uh, um, uh, understand, um, you know, you've got to break that thinking and you can't break that thinking if you don't have a protocol. And what we got Taylor to do is put his attention rather than being on his on the results and onto, you know, the game gets very simpler. So, you know, when you can say, you know, whatever level you are, Chris, can you pick a proper cub, club? Uh, of course you can. Are you capable of making an excellent golf shot for your level of play? Of course you can. You do that all the time. And it was that type of thought protocol that causes, caused Taylor to focus in and he learned to detach from the result, and he took to it like a fish to water. Uh, he's a very intuitive player, and he went, wow, this is really simple, and it was easy for him. Now, I also find in my history of working with people who have an intentional bias to be very logical, those people want the result, and, and it's harder for them because their attentional bias is to, and that's how they typically solve problems like mathematics, engineering, or accounting. And they struggle because they want that to be to be their control. But once you learn to give that up and 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 let go, so to speak, and people talk about that all the time, and put your attentional focus on your assessing and executing the shot. And it doesn't, you know, whatever it is, you enter your data, then you move on to the next shot. And if you made a mistake before, try not to make a mistake on the next shot. And what is very critical is bringing this protocol, your, your thought, attentional focus onto this present moment because it's this shot you have right now. That's the most in short, important shot in golf. And when you get good at this, it simplifies the game and you'd be surprised how fast you can, you know, optimize your potential no matter what level of player you are. So how do we do that, Richard? How, you know, our minds have been conditioned, you know, I'm, I don't want to speak for everybody, yep. obviously, but I'll say for myself, my mind has been conditioned about score all the time. And right? since I started mm -hmm. playing the game and I've been playing the game for mm -hmm. 40 years, right? You know, mm -hmm. you, you, you mark your score down at the, you know, on your scorecard at the end, you know, at, after the hole, you, we start to project forward, which we've talked about. We feel badly about, you know, when we walk off with double or triple, we get down on ourselves, yep. the negative self-talk and all of that sort of thing. How do you break that cycle and get away from that and focus on this? Well, you have to, first of all, understand that that's golf insanity. 
So you have to be motivated to change it. So when you, when you focus on the, on, on your shot at hand, you have to follow this, this protocol and, and just, you know, uh, put your attention on, on the right club and don't get mad at, get mad at do it, making a wrong assessment or get mad at making a wrong, uh, a poor execution and, and understand, like, it's taken a long time for you to get conditioned that way. It's kind of like, let's take, if we can use the example of physical fitness. If you have, if you have been in poor physical fitness shape for 40 years, um, you're not going to be able to flip a switch and then tomorrow be physically fit. You're going to have to create, do a physical protocol. It's called exercise. Jump on that, on that, uh, a cardiovascular trainer and work day by day with the physical protocol. And you have to understand that it's going to take a while and some people it takes quicker. I mean, and I'm I'm happy to say that thought protocol you can do it a lot faster than physical uh, reconditioning, but you have to start it. And what we want to and you have to understand that most people that are down this rabbit hole for 40 years, I had to change my perspective, or else I wouldn't put food on the table. So it can be done. It's not easy, and particularly for for older logical dominant thinkers, it's even harder. But you have to commit yourself to a protocol. You have to do it. And be, and be committed to doing it. Uh, and, and it will, you will see results slowly and they will turn. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect at it, but it will, you will stumble into it more and more and more. And you'll start to see these, your feelings change, your perspective and your perception shift onto your key performance markers rather than the score. And you're going to feel empowered by it. It's just an exercise that you have to constantly do. Richard, I want to switch gears a couple more before I let you go. And uh, you mentioned Bryson DeChambeau a little bit ago. Want to get your reaction mm-hmm. from what you saw at the U.S. Open? Well, first of all, I'm a big fan of U.S. Opens. I think I may have mentioned in the past, I love U.S. Opens. But one of the most staggering things that came out of the U.S. Open on Sunday at Wingfoot was um, was was that hitting fairways was simply not a concern for Bryson DeChambeau. I mean, while everyone else it was, 143 other people, the golf course was a problem. But what he brought to the table, and and, and keep in mind, Bryson was so calm, which was new, and that was the staggering thing. He was so calm in that whole round. And, you know, what DeChambeau just walked into golf's temple and started flipping the tables over. And it's shocked all of us, and we never thought that uh, this would work, but he proved us wrong. And uh, I think it's really going to be important to see what the USGA and the RNA do about it, because their uh, performance or their reports won't be coming out till the spring of 2021. But it's going to be interesting if um, if there is any, if they do anything about to try and pull back that distance the ball goes in professional golf. Speaking of the distance, right, we've seen Bryson hit drives 370, 400. We've seen DJ do it. And, and it's interesting to me. I'm, I'm holding in my hand your your card from ProSet back in 1990s. When I look at the, the, the stats, it says driving distance. And you finished 67th on tour that year in driving distance. But your average drive, yeah, pretty average. 265. 265. Yeah, that was pretty... And now these guys are hitting it 100 yards further. Does that drive you crazy? Yes. Well, it does because I, the thing, and I have no problem with, uh, with, um, 
maximizing technology, but when accuracy doesn't matter anymore, I have a problem with that. Uh, you know, I come from the old school of Hale Irwin and Jack Nicholas and Ray Floyd, and 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 I am of the opinion that I don't like to see accuracy get thrown out the window. Um, um, uh, and I think there needs to be, in my opinion, I would love to see the ball get. Uh, there, there's three things that really need to change. You need to make sure that the ball increases its speed at a minimum. So, because um, that ball just goes too straight, it, it it's hard to move it. And uh, and I think when you put allow the ball to spin more, and, th- and this is bifurcation, making sure that only at the professional level does this occur. The ball needs to spin more. Uh, number one, number two, the uh, 460cc um, size of the club head needs to come down to about 325. Uh, that way, it would shrink this the sweet spot on the face, and. Um, that would make a difference. And number three, the coefficient of restitution, which is the spring-like effect, needs to be not as hot. And I think if we, if the USGA and the RNA pull it back a little bit, maybe 10% a little bit, I think the long hitters will always have an advantage. There's no doubt. But you don't want them to have an exponential advantage compared to the rest of the, the, the peloton, the rest of the play, players in the pack. And uh, I'd like to make I would prefer that accuracy has an important aspect in performance. Richard, just a couple more before I let you go. And I want to take you back to your win at the Greater Milwaukee Open. And as I was looking at that golf tournament, you trailed Mark Brooks by a stroke going into the final round. You had a one-stroke lead going into the final hole. He hit driver, put it in the rough, ended up making triple bogey. You hit three wood off the tee. Just curious, did he? I'm, I'm guessing because I think you bogeyed 17, so I'm guessing he teed off first. Did. did you have driver in your hand at at the beginning and put it back in the bag to, to draw the three wood based on what you saw him just do? Oh, good memory. I don't know how you're picking up all this information, but you're bang on. I three putted the 17th green, and I had a two shot lead going. I buried 16, had a two shot lead. I three putted the 17th green. And keep in mind, Mark Brooks was the defending champion, and everyone expected him to win. But uh, there was no doubt in my mind. Um, he he, 18th hole at Tuckaway at the time was very. It was the, probably the hardest par four, like a driver three wood, uh, you know, a long iron. I hit three iron in my second, my second hole, and I said, you know what, I'm going to make par. Uh, I was result oriented at the time. <laughs> I pulled out three wood, and I said. I, I, I'm going to hit three wood and I'm going to make par. And if he birdies the hole, which I doubt anyone really, you know, is really a difficult hole, then good on him. But I'm going to, I'm going to make my, my par. He had, he hit driver and pulled it, pulled it into the rough and made a big number. I hit three wood, hit three iron on the green, made a solid par. And, um, and I think, uh, Dick Mast, I think finished second and, uh, Mark Brooks, uh, finished, uh, third. So. My next question, I want to talk about uh, Augusta National and the Masters. Uh, that got you in. What was it like when the invitation from Augusta National arrived in the mail? Well, those are the wonderful things that uh, the benefits that come with winning on the PGA Tour that really touch deep into the deepest levels of self-gratification, the, the work, the sacrifice that you do, the sacrifice that your family makes for you, your parents, your, your, your brothers, sisters, your wife, your children. And, um, uh, and, and it, it makes it all worth it. 
and uh, you know you aspire to dream about playing in the in the in the Masters or the U.S. Opens and all that stuff. But when that invitation came in, it was a deep sense of gratification and one that I'll always remember. And uh, and those moments uh, come far and few between in this game when you play for a living. And uh, but when you have them, and uh, you know, like I admire you know the you know the old school classic professionals like Bob Ford. I, I totally love that whole environment that he's in and really appreciate it. And, uh, and when you get those, when you get in, if, if you're lucky enough to get an invitation to the, the masters, it, it's uh, something that's extremely special. Richard, before I let you go, remind our listeners one more time about mind track golf, your website, how they can stay up to date uh, with you. And, uh, and then when the uh, app is going to be available uh, you know, on, uh, on the Google, on Google play as well. Now, obviously, on iOS. Yeah, so MindTrack Golf is free in the App Store. It's in iOS. Next season it's going to be an, we'll have an Android product and um and and you can go to our website mindtrackgolf.com and as you mentioned track is T R A K. We have a whole bunch of videos, frequently asked question videos. Um you know, the, on the first splash page, you know, there's a video that says what is MindTrack Golf? Then on the second one is how to use the app. And the third video on the third splash page is, uh, you know, uh, mind tracks, shot lost and shot gained events and, uh, and, and, uh, and then, uh, key performance markers. So it explains everything about it. You can reach out to me on Twitter at, at Richard Zokel. Well, Richard, I can't thank you enough for being generous with your time tonight. Always a good time when you're a part of the show. Learn something every single time. I can't thank you enough for being here. You're fantastic, my friend. Well, thank you. You're a fine gentleman, Chris, and it's a pleasure being on your show, and uh, I can't thank you enough. I'm much appreciated. Absolutely. Look forward to catching up with you again soon. Stay safe. All the best to you and your family, Richard. Thank you. That's a great Richard Zokel, Z-O-K-O-L, at Richard Zokel on Twitter and on Instagram, and uh, Mind Track Golf, T-R-A-K. MindTrackGolf.com is the website, so we'll we'll keep track of what Richard's doing and when it's available on Google Play. It's available right now, like you said, beta testing it on iOS. So download the app and give it a try, and let me know what you think. So go on uh, whether it's uh, my website nextonthetee.net or uh, my Facebook page for you, know, my page Chris Mascaro, or Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, or you know, uh, on uh, whether it's Twitter at CT Mascaro or on Instagram, any one of those ways, right? Let me know if you download the app and you and uh, you have some experience u- using it. Give me the good and the bad, and uh, and uh, stay up to date with Richard and let him know as well. But uh, really interested to hear what you guys think, and uh, we'll keep track of Richard and get him back on the show as uh, as he has updates available. All right, my friends, it's time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. My sincere thanks go out to. You. Tom Patry, Bob Ford, and Richard Zoko for joining me. Please check out our website, nextonthetee.net. On there, you're going to be up, be able to keep up to date with uh, what the guest schedule looks like. You, we've got, you know, you, you can play the episodes here. You can play individual guest segments there as well as, as well. And you can find us on all over the net, right? On every podcasting uh, site, podcast.co. Those, those friends of ours have been fantastic to us. The show is also available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Radio.com, Player.fm. We're, if you've got a favorite podcasting site, we're on it. I can't thank you enough, folks. 
for continuing to listen to the show and making us a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.